this hour, what's up with all the hate on Dr. King? Love that track by Jill Scott. You may have heard me tell this story before. If you have, uh, I'll tell it again. Um, I've been in a few music videos <laughs> in my time. Friends of mine who've asked me to appear in music videos. Uh, and uh, I'm actually in this video. If you, if you Google the Hate On Me Hater song from Jill Scott, and you'll see uh, Dr. West and yours truly dancing, literally dancing behind Jill Scott. I was in my office here one day <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> And uh, Jill Scott just popped up in my lobby one day and blew everybody's mind. My staff was like, you're not going to believe this. Jill Scott is in the lobby. I said, stop lying. Just so happened that Dr. West was in the building that day visiting me as well. And uh, Jill uh, came back to my office and we were just all shocked. And she said, man, I didn't know your office was here. I said, yeah. I said, what are you doing here, Jill? She said, I'm shooting a video down the street for my new single. And uh, long story short, um, she begged us. Uh, to be in this video she begged me dr west was down with it immediately he couldn't wait to be in the video if you know dr west you may not know this about him but dr west can dance literally all night long he's a scholar but he loves music and loves to dance and i tried to get out of it and dr west said brother we got to do this brother we got to do this so uh we went down the street and choreographed a little something something and if you see that uh, video for that single dr west and i are in the background dancing behind uh one jill scott saying got caught the same day same way, rather, uh, with a couple other artists that pulled me into things that I probably had no business being in. But I love that track. Uh, and it's a perfect song that Miles chose because we're talking in this hour about the hate on Dr. King. I am pleased to be joined now by my colleague here at my home station in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580. His program is heard on the weekends. It's called The Reconstruction Project. His name is John Wood Jr. So he's a colleague and a friend. He's also a columnist for USA Today and the founder of Braver Angels. He joins us now for a conversation about efforts by both conservative activist Charlie Kirk and billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman. Uh, I think it's fair to say to demean and discredit uh, Dr. Martin King Jr., by casting aspersion on his work and his witness. And so I ask in this hour, what's up with all the hate on Dr. King? And I'm pleased to welcome live into this studio my friend, colleague, and brother, John Wood Jr. John, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well, Tavis. It is always an honor and a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just down the street. So anytime you call, brother, I'm not far. We are happy to have you uh, come in studio. Miles was teasing me earlier, uh, and we never know how these shows are going to work out, but it's Black Republican Day around here. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw just, you. Yeah, I just brother talked, Yeah, I just talked to Will Hurd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now you come in. Uh, and right. uh, I, I love, again, talking to my friends who see mm -hmm. things a bit differently than I. But on this That's issue, right. John Wood Jr. and I are in lockstep. We are simpatico on this. This audience knows full well, as does John, um, that I regard Dr. King as the greatest American this country's mm -hmm. ever produced. I will mm -hmm. say it until I die. Mm -hmm. uh, that's who he is uh, to and for me. And I have a hard time processing the way these folks are coming after him in real time, particularly around a moment like this where we're celebrating, of course, uh, his, his birthday, his holiday, as we push toward Black History Month. Uh, they're very uh, particular about the timing of these mm. attacks on Dr. King. Mm. I want to spend a little time just sort of unpacking this. So let me do this. Uh, I'm going to ask you, before we jump too deeply in this, to, yeah. to set up, I'll set up the, 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 the Bill Ackman thing in a moment. Sure. I'll let you set up the Charlie Kirk thing right now. We've got about two minutes to do that. So set up this Charlie Kirk thing, this conservative uh, who activist who's gone after Dr. King. Lay the foundation in two minutes and we'll jump when we come forward. 
It's an interesting thing. Charlie Kirk is the founder of an organization called Turning Point USA. He's a person who has a large conservative following across America. He's very much a strong supporter of Donald Trump. And if you go back uh, a couple of years, uh, Charlie Kirk uh, was referring to Martin Luther King Jr. as a hero. And doing what many people do, mentioned that King said, you know, judge us by the content of our character, not the color of our skin, and sort of anchored a large part of his sort of social commentary on that. Now, I'm not sure what exactly triggered the shift, but somewhere along the way, uh, Charlie Kirk uh, decided that maybe Dr. King was, in fact, the villain. And so he's built a campaign that he launched uh, on King Day, starting with a podcast interview of a brother who, honestly, I wasn't familiar with before. I think a man named Vince Wilson, Vince Everett Wilson, I think. Uh, black conservative who himself kind of has it out for Dr. King and his legacy. And Kirk is essentially saying that not only was Dr. King uh, a fraud and a bad person, but he is the father of the sort of DEI complex, which is not popular on, on the right to be served. And in some other places. And Dr. King, by the way, the Civil Rights Act was a bad thing, too. And mm. so there's a bit of a revival of a lot of the old school ch- uh, claims of Dr. King being a communist and somebody who in secret hated America, this, that, and the third. And, and, so, while, and while Charlie Kirk was doing that on Turning Point, Bill Ackman was doing that with Elon Musk in an interview on X, mm. formerly Twitter. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an attack that that seems coordinated got this billionaire hedge fund manager talking to Elon Musk about this in an interview on X. Uh, Bill Ackman is the guy that helped push out Claudine Gay as president of Harvard. Mm-hmm. So that's they're over there on X doing their thing. Charlie mm-hmm. Kirk is doing his thing on Turning Point, as John Wood Jr. just said. What's up with all these well-to-do white men coming after and hating on Dr. King? Just getting started with John Wood Jr. on Tavis Smiling. From the Merck Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. <laughs> Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. 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 That's who. The conversation continues right now. It does indeed with John Wood Jr., uh, who is a U.S. editor columnist, um, notable figure in bridging political divides, uh, the founder of Braver Angels, which we'll discuss later, uh, perhaps in this hour. Uh, But um, he uh, has been taken aback, as I have been taken aback, uh, by these um, well-to-do white males who are coming after Dr. King. And it seems to be coordinated, uh, the attack, and it seems to be, it seems to have an end and aim. And it seems to me that the end and aim is DE&I. And we could debate DE&I, DE&I, and I'm not sure, John and I, I'm not sure we agree on, on, on this thing completely. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. We can, I can handle it and he can handle it. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, exactly. what I don't like is using King as this whipping post, mm-hmm. uh, as it were, uh, to go after corrective programs like DE&I to go after corrective programs, as I see it, like affirmative action. Uh, and so we'll talk about that as we move through this hour. But let me let me turn back to you, though. Tell us more about, you, you laid the foundation because we had a few moments there, and now we got more time. Yeah. Tell me about Charlie Kirk and what he's up to. Yeah, so Charlie Kirk, um, who, again, was an individual who, a popular conservative commentator, uh, somebody who's a you know, strong cheerleader for Trump and whatnot, but also pretty well out on the right, just not too long ago, a few years ago, was referring to Dr. King as as a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the course of the last few years, seems to have had a change of opinion on Dr. King, but he's launched this this larger effort to destroy King's reputation and legacy, claiming to tell the real truth about Dr. King. Um, so I went and 
I listened to uh, his uh, his first podcast, which I guess is supposed to be the first of any number of episodes on this subject. He was mm-hmm. interviewing a man who I wasn't really familiar with before, a brother named Vince Ellison. Uh, Vince Ellison, I think, black conservative. Uh, but um, there, I, I was wondering if I was going to hear something new. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I was wondering, am I going to hear something? Because there's so much confidence in the presentation, in the buildup. Mm-hmm. This is going to be something to tear down the legacy of Dr. King. And instead, um, what we got out of that conversation, and people can listen to it if you want to, but I'm just going to tell you uh, what I found in it was a combination uh, of one, some flat-out falsehoods, mm-hmm. claims that uh, David Garrow, King's biographer, and uh, Ralph Abernathy said that Dr. King was a despicable human being. I think that's just a flat-out lie. Um, claims that Dr. King uh, supported breaking up the family through welfare, mm-hmm. right? This is actually something that King, who was generally politically to the left, was actually critical of, right? King is quoted as having criticized that aspect of the great society. So that's either uh, a confusion or an outright deception. Some things the, the, that... The latter, go ahead. Some things that... <laughs> there, was, there was mentioning of some things that, you know, do point to shortcomings of King's, but think that's things that we already knew about, you know? The fact that Dr. King, of course, you know, had multiple affairs and so forth. Yes, we we know this. Dr. King um, is was a human being, like all of us, had his failings. And so then the bulk of the conversation wound up becoming sort of blaming King for the expansive government policies that conservatives tend to have an issue with anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, making the claim that, well, you know, the welfare state, the Great Society undermines the black family, so on and so forth, uh, talks about Dr. King's associations with Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, as if Dr. King had a big pro-abortion agenda or what have you, basically drawing, uh, reviving conflations and whatnot for things that either just tangentially had to do with King or didn't have anything to do with King at, at all. all. yeah. Uh, but for the sake of crafting a narrative, it seems to me, you know, we're drawing these associations uh, in ways that are sort of red meat for political conservatives. And, so, and I say this as a Republican myself, Tavis, and somebody who has, you know, conservative views on things. But uh, there was very little new uh, in this revelatory sort of campaign from Charlie Kirk from my vantage point. I'm not naive, in, not, naive, not naive at all in asking this particular question, but I want to get your take on it. Yep. Why... Are they, and we'll talk more about the they, but why are they in this moment making MLK a target? I, well, you know, I should I should say that uh, Charlie Kirk did experience a fair amount of backlash online from many Republicans, mm-hmm. from many conservatives, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he's by no means experiencing sort of a unanimous reception here. But it's true that you do have uh, a deep pocket of folks um, on the right, and King has critics from other quarters, but mm-hmm. on the right, uh, who I think have a vested interest in tearing down King's legacy, I suppose because they see him as essentially empowering the forces of multiculturalism that in various different ways they see as a threat to whatever it is they understand America as as needing as needing to be so so, atta- so. so att- attacking him is a strategy that is essentially a means to an end it, it is a means to an end now look it, it 
there's so much propaganda and misinformation out in the world Mm -hmm. that I have no doubt that there are a number of people now, as was the case in the past, who believe some of the worst things that they hear about Dr. King just because of who that information is coming from. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have no doubt that that's the case. Um, But zooming out, I do think that it is a means to an end, Um, fairly or unfairly. Kirk has the idea that you cannot destroy DEI without destroying Dr. King because he associates DEI with the legacy of Dr. King. Mm -hmm. Now, that's an interesting sort of claim unto itself. Maybe you and I could talk a little bit about about that. Let's let's Um, do it now. Okay, sure thing. Yeah. I mean, I do think that so, you know, I know you want to talk about I know you want to talk about uh, Bill Ackman. Happy to do that, too. Um, I wasn't sure that Ackman was doing what Kirk Mm -hmm. was doing. Let let me just offer this as a general statement. I think that there are many people in America who praise King but have what I would refer to as a complacent understanding of Dr. King, right? In other words, they praise him insofar as certain elements of what he talked about that are quickly accessible without any deep study or investigation line up with whatever their political priors might happen to be, mm-hmm. right? And you might be challenged on some of those assumptions if you were to dig deep, deeper and further into King's That's why. That's why, I th- not to cut you off, that's why I think the word complacent is both charitable and generous on your part, but I digress. Go well, ahead. yeah, I, you know, yeah. I lean towards the generous interpretation, Tavis, <laughs> as, you, as, you, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, of course, not blind to the human capacity for mendacity. So mm-hmm. That's a balance we strike, and it's a balance King talked about as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are many people, right and left, by the way, just in different ways, who take aspects of things that King said and did, and just kind of the way we treat Jesus, you know, cherry-pick from the scriptures and whatnot, that's right. you know, to fill out and substantiate and undergird uh, our own preferences and prejudices in terms of how we see the world and how we, how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. My experience in studying Dr. King is that the more you study study him, the more you realize that King in his own time and in the implications of his work challenges everybody across the spectrum Mm -hmm. because King had a way of looking at things that tended to transcend political categories, even as he had his policy preferences, which brings me to DEI. What I would say about King with respect to DEI, first of all, I mean, I I do think that there is a bit of a historical connection between the landscape of diversity, equity, inclusion work and the the aftermath of the civil rights, uh, the civil rights act and a larger sort of campaign uh, of affirmative action, integration in American corporations, college campuses and so forth. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not that's not necessarily a a, a bad thing. Um, I think that in principle, Dr. King would have been firmly supportive of the idea of diversity, equity and inclusion. I mean, it's it's almost a restatement of some of the fundamental principles of the beloved community. Mm-hmm. And so on that fundamental level, uh, I think that Mr. Ackman is mistaken. Now, I would say this, however, about DEI, because I think that King would have been in favor of DEI in principle. I think in practice, it is a somewhat more complicated matter. There are a couple of different ways that DEI, I think, can go wrong. And I say this as a person who is involved in producing work through Braver Angels, an organization that you mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Not the founder of Braver Angels, but mm-hmm. I am national ambassador and the person who named the organization, so mm-hmm. deeply involved. Um, we do a lot of work that is rather akin to, to, to DEI, and I've had many folks and organizations reach out to me for advice and consultation on those sorts of practices. DEI, I think, goes wrong in a couple different ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, 
can sometimes be implemented in a way that really is only embracing the first of those terms, the diversity part, right? And so you have a number of organizations and institutions in America who put themselves forward as having a DEI program that's serious, but really is more or less a glorified sort of tokenism, trying to get the right sort of color uh, um, ratio in the room without any deeper sort of integration or empowerment. So Dr. King uh, was opposed to integrating people out of power, right? And so in the latter part of his life, Dr. King even said that in certain cases, temporary segregation might be beneficial if the alternative to that is an integration that doesn't allow a meaningful voice for the people of color being brought to the table in a certain institution. And that's a, a position he came to after having witnessed that happen over and over again. And so that's the failure of DEI that oftentimes draws criticism from the left. There's another way in which DEI can be implemented that is more likely to draw criticism from the right and from the center. Uh, and it is an attempt, uh, approach to DEI that I would say emphasizes the diversity and the equity portion, but isn't meaningful on the inclusion front. And what do I mean by that? In the summer of 2020, I had a lot of people reach out to me, black and white and different colors from different agencies and organizations across the country, who were struggling to implement DEI programs that actually achieved genuine sort of social cohesion in their organizations. And so I wound up interviewing a good number of DEI practitioners, learning everything I could about the programs. Of course, we have our own methodologies at Braver Angels, and mm -hmm. I would talk about these. Um, wherein, you know, I, I'll put it to you bluntly. Um, the, uh, for some practitioners of DEI, the goal is to get white people to understand that their privilege and pre-existing status means that they have a lesser place to occupy in a conversation among peers in a given institutional setting. Now, I can agree that historically and socially, there is this power differential which we need to keep in mind as the context of any number of policymaking uh, and politically related topics that we might be engaging in conversation and deliberation over. However, I had a, I had a person tell me uh, that they as a DEI practitioner were concerned because they had too many peers for whom they did not consider their particular programs to be successful unless they managed to make a white person cry mm -hmm. <laughs> in the course of implementing them, right? But well, that, well, that, that just means that those practitioners would be wrong. Well, I, I agree with that. The question, of course, becomes how widespread is that sort of practice? I don't think it's most DEI, mm -hmm. and I think that there's a, a motivation to uh, amplify that aspect, uh, uh, that malpractice of it, perhaps beyond what the reality of it might be. Nevertheless, I would say that on the one hand, Dr. King did not believe in integrating people out of power and so forth. And so he believed in equity, that diversity essentially without equity was vital. But Dr. King also did not believe in an integration that had us elbow, elbow to elbow, but, but not heart to heart, right? He believed in an earnest uh, integration. So the inclusion part of DEI is something that has to has to succeed in making it possible for people both black and white and everybody else in between to feel like they are fully included in human dignity in the context of an organizational, organizational structure. So 
insofar as that is a way in which DEI can be practiced and maybe it's too often practiced in some places, there is a basis for criticism of DEI. But I would argue no basis for suggesting that Dr. King would have had a principled rejection of DEI as a whole. We agree on that latter part. I think the criticism, though, is searching for a problem. It's a it's a critique searching for a problem, a solution, if you will, searching for a problem. I don't think there's any evidence at all uh, that that sort of bastardization of DEI or its implementation is widespread. And this is the problem when people, you know, create a boogeyman that really doesn't exist in the first place. If 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 DEI um, uh, is right, and I believe it is in its intent, then those practitioners who implement it the wrong way and then want to blame it for X, Y, and Z mm. are just out of step and out of touch. Mm. But that does not allow one to, across the board, uh, demonize a corrective program like D, a corrective programs like DE&I or mm. affirmative action. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does make sense, yeah. Tavis. And I think that you and I share a common commitment to push back against oversimplifications and reductionism. Absolutely. And so we're we're on the same page here in our in our philosophical framework. I would say that I do believe that this problem exists. The question is at what level of scale. Uh, it's hard for me to give a precise answer to that because to a certain degree it's a hard thing to sort of study but, and but, observe. But, but I will tell you sure, sure. that in the summer of 2020, I mean, I had a wave of people reaching out to me personally. Uh, in an effort to find somebody who could help constructively intervene in cases where this was a problem. So maybe my view is somewhat prejudiced by that experience. But if you look at a book like uh, White Fragility by by Robin DiAngelo, mm-hmm. um, you are getting – so, you know, that that book is a bit of an analysis of – Implicit racial bias in white psychology, but Robin D'Angelo is essentially a type of DEI practitioner. And across the whole course of that book, she provides anecdotes of her workshops and methods being things that would sort of succeed in emotionally breaking down white people who are participating in them, but no recollections of success in terms of genuine integration of white and black people in organizational settings. And that, again, is an example of that problem. Let's talk about white fragility when we come forward. Number one, I think there are two questions. Um, You raised one question uh, uh, about how widespread this is. That may be a question. I'm not sure it is the question, number one. Mm -hmm. The question for me is, what is the end and aim of those persons like Charlie Kirk? Mm -hmm. And Bill Ackman. What is their end and aim? It's not about it. it, it, They're using King as a way in this Mm -hmm. attack on King as a way in. But ultimately, they have a goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to assess when we come forward. What is the goal? Uh, You're listening to John Wood Jr. on Tavis Smart. Unapologetically progressive. Progressive. Unapologetically blind. You're tapped into Tavis Smart. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Tavis Smiley and John Wood Jr. As we were talking in this hour about where all this hate is coming uh, from uh, against uh, one Dr. King. Um, in case you've just tuned in, uh, Charlie Kirk, founder of uh, Turning Point, mm-hmm. um, has uh, made it his business to go after Dr. King. Uh, very powerful and popular conservative with a pretty big base. Uh, his end and aim is to do away with corrective programs like affirmative action, DE&I, etc. But uh, Dr. King has become the whipping post. And so he went in on Dr. King on Monday on the holiday. No respect there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And is doing a series of conversations, series, uh, making his claim, making his case about why Dr. King uh, is bad for America. His view, uh, his work, his witness. Um, the seminal legislation that he helped get passed. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
but Charlie Kirk, a very popular conservative, going after Dr. King. Not just D&I, but King is the way in. And Bill Ackman, on the same day, the King holiday on Monday, was on X with Elon Musk uh, with his own criticisms of DE&I uh, and trying to assess, uh, trying to uh, suggest, rather, to the rest of us that Dr. King, were he alive, would be opposed to DE&I. So you got a powerful billionaire hedge fund manager named Bill Ackman, on the one hand, going after King and DE&I. He's the guy that helped push out Claudine Gay at president of Harvard. You got Charlie Kirk, who's a conservative, who's going after um, King uh, from his vantage point. I should mention on Bill Ackman, Ackman just donated a million dollars to a guy named Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips is a former member, of, former member of Congress, Democrat, running against Joe Biden. So Cornell West, uh, RFK Jr., um, they're running as independents. Mm. But Dean Phillips, former congressman, is running as a Democrat against a sitting Democratic president, and Bill Ackman just gave his campaign a million dollars, but he comes out in, in an interview with Dean Phillips and Elon Musk. They're all, to, they're all there together. Dean Phillips, Elon Musk, Bill Ackman in this conversation on X on Monday where Bill Ackman goes in on uh, on, on DE&I. I think Dean Phillips tried to push back on that a little bit, but the point is he still took that million dollars. Um, <laughs> so you see where his, where his, where his money is coming from. So there are all sorts of there layers and textures to this conversation. Ultimately, mm-hmm. what John Wood Jr., uh, my friend and colleague, uh, columnist for USA Today, uh, uh, one of the uh, leaders of Braver Angels, what we're ultimately trying to get at, at least what I'm trying to get at, is what's behind the hate. Mm-hmm. Why now? And what is the end and aim? What is the goal of all the hate they're directing toward Dr. King? So you raised moments ago, John, uh, the fact that there were, you know, there were, there's a question here. The question is, to what extent would King be in support of DNI? I think that question has been answered already. Number two, to what extent is DNI being, you know, manipulated by certain practitioners, mm. which opens the door to people like Charlie Kirk and Bill Ackman who want to get rid of it? But there's the broader question here. And for me, that question is, as I said a moment ago, what is their end and aim? What is their goal in attacking King? It ain't just about Martin. It's about these corrective programs that they want to do away with in every aspect of American life. Do you disagree with that assessment? Yeah, I think that the that is the point at which Charlie Kirk and Bill Ackman converge is with a desire to either eradicate or fundamentally uh, downgrade the presence of diversity and equity inclusion programs across America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I look at Kirk and Ackman as being exactly the same here. I'm not sure that I see Ackman as having attacked Dr. King. I think that... But, but attack Ackman, D&I, though. But There's attacking, no question about that. Attacking D&I, interestingly, through, through, uh, through alleging King's... Uh, uh, alleging King's opposition, right. were he to be alive today, well, that, well, that's what to, I mean. to DEI. Let me clarify. Right? So, let, let me clarify, though. That's what I mean by attacking King. You cannot take his words mm-hmm. and twist them uh, like a pretzel in a way that they aren't what he intended those words to be. I understand that's, that. If you don't want to say attack, that's disrespect and flat-out wrong. Mm-hmm. We can't disagree on that. The charitable interpretation here might be that he's coming from a place of ignorance. But let's say this. One of the realities of politics and social life is that when we have a prejudiced understanding of a term, that becomes the only interpretation of the term. And so even if it's only 5 or 10% of DEI practitioners who are implementing these practices in a way that is actually destructive of people's ability to actually 
genuinely experience inclusion in the workplace, when that metastasizes into a political football, that becomes the only meaning of DEI. And so I think that's where Bill Ackman and others are coming from. Now, Charlie Kirk, I think he wants to see DEI undone. I think he's also realizing the fact that there is an untapped audience out there, potentially anyway, of people who have some genuine pent-up resentment towards towards Dr. King. And so perhaps part of what he's trying to do is build his own empire. Um, but there is a broader effort to undo, to undermine diversity, equity, and inclusion in America. And my my position on that is that what we want is diversity, equity, inclusion that actually lives up to its stated aims. We want, achieves those three things. We, we want right? that. We want that. But there, but there is. We, we want that, John. Indeed. But mm-hmm. there is no evidence. And you just threw this out there. And I want to just push back on sure, this sure. respectfully as my as your friend. Sure. You, you, and you, I know you're just making you're making you, you were just making a statement. But there is no evidence that it's metastasized. Mm-hmm. There is no evidence that there's five or ten percent of people who are practitioners that are doing it the wrong way. There is no evidence of that. And to even suggest that in a sentence creates a frame that just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. At the end of the day, they don't let's call it what it is, John. They don't like seeing black folk get ahead. Mm-hmm. I just had this conversation with Randall Kennedy, professor at Harvard. He made mm-hmm. this claim in a powerful piece that he wrote for the New York Times recently. Too many white folk in this country, not all. But too many white brothers and sisters just don't want to see, they can't stand seeing black folk get ahead, even if these corrective programs were put in place because black folk have been perennially disenfranchised Mm -hmm. politically, socially, economically, and even culturally. They don't want to see Negroes get ahead, gain any ground. You got to call it what it is. Mm -hmm. There's no no evidence of anything metastasizing here. There's Mm -hmm. no evidence that DE&I practitioners across the board are demonizing this program and uh, making white folk cry. That's a narrative, but it's a false narrative. Wait a second. I didn't say across the board. Yeah. Um, I well, think, five, five I to ten percent is a significant number. Five or ten percent would be a significant number. But that right? number, but, that, but, do, but there's no I, backing to that number, though. I do think that it is a subject that deserves actual empirical study. Exactly, it Not, deserves. We agree on that. It deserves empirical study okay. because what we often do in politics is we respond to the emotional response, right, of people as they self-report their own experiences, right? And this is true for black people. This is true for people in any number of contexts. If you feel like you've experienced implicit bias, if you feel like you've experienced prejudice in the workplace, so on and so forth, you're having experiences that may or may not show up in a data set somewhere, Mm -hmm. but you're speaking from the vantage point of what you've actually lived through. And so there's no shortage of people saying that they've lived through these DEI experiences. And again, I told you, Tavis, I've interviewed a number of practitioners Myself. I mean, I've tried to do in my own limited capacity, sure. my own due diligence to get a sampling from experts mm-hmm. as to wh- how widespread this problem was. And there's certainly some concession that this is a problem with differing sort of analyses of how severe it is. And I also mentioned Robin D'Angelo's book. Now, you can mm-hmm. go back and read Right Fragility. I, I've read her, it. Yeah. You may recall her, yeah. her book in insofar as she describes her DEI methodology is more or less a celebration of the very kind of I would argue destructive implementation of DEI that uh, that is problematic here in this context. So I agree with you that we don't have a firm evidentiary basis on the on the on the basis of data, but this is something that should be studied so we can have the con- conversation. And, I, and I'm all, and I'm all, for, I'm all for studying anything. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is you cannot make a boogeyman mm-hmm. out of a particular corrective program when there ain't no evidence that suggests mm-hmm. that the program is being fundamentally uh, 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 
misapplied or, 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 or implemented in any way that's causing harm to white fellow citizens. So allow me to launch my critique. Hold that thought one second. That. Yeah, I'll let you launch it when we come forward. You listen to John Wood Jr. on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley continues when we come forward. 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 Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. More of Tavis Smiley and John Wood Jr. I want to give John a chance to re- uh, to rebut, as he uh, asked for a moment ago. Uh, in case you've just tuned in, my, my, my point of view very quickly and very simply is this. I think the reason we're having this conversation is because in the coming months and years, you're going to see a lot more pushback on King, a lot more abuse of Dr. King for a particular end and aim. And I believe that end and aim is to do away with any kind of corrective program in this country aimed at African-Americans. Your retort. Well, the truth is, Tevis, my my critique here is actually of the criticizers mm-hmm. here. Um, and so because I want to show you that I understand the limitations of their of their perspective, even as I offer my own critiques of DEI insofar as I can see it. Um, but there is, first of all, this issue needs to be studied in a way that provides a firm data set for us to be able to pivot from. Because you're right. I mean, I throw out the 5%, 10% figure and so forth as something that in my mind seems plausible, right, based on my own experiences and observations. But we need the data to undergird that, particularly before Bill Ackman or anybody else starts launching well-financed campaigns to utterly sort of undo it across across the boards. But it does. it reminds me a bit of the, the CRT conversation, very similar conversation in many respects. If you so you have certain instances uh, across the country where well in different places different schools different anecdotes that showed up in different places where you might have a teacher let's say this is a video that went viral a little while back takes a group of students different colors and says okay are you a person of color are you white take a step forward take a step backward are you male or female take a step forward step backwards this that or the other by the end of it he says okay depending on where you are here this is how privileged or marginalized you are and this sets up a social dynamic among kids which is not very not very very healthy i don't know if that's crt but it's part of what people are calling crt if that's a problem let's engage it then you have people say let's talk about the Oklahoma, the uh, the Tulsa race massacre in schools because that's a part of our history, and you got people saying that's CRT. We don't want that. One is legitimate history; the other is malpractice. Right? We need a conversation that's actually able to discern between the two and identify how prevalent one problem is or the other is before we issue blanket condemnations of diversity, equity, inclusion, or CRT. We need to know what we are talking about before we adopt positions based on revolutionizing or undoing uh, real progress that has been made in some of these different areas. And so that would be my constructive criticism to conservatives who want to be constructive about this. I don't know if Charlie Kirk really wants to be constructive, but for those conservatives and other critics who do want to be constructive, understand the issue, support establishing the evidence that's there, and then let's take it from a basis of truth and data. Our remaining moments with John Wood Jr. when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Just four minutes left in this conversation with John Wood Jr. Again, the reason why I wanted to have him here, the reason we've had this conversation is because I want to prepare you, to brace you 
for all the attacks that you're going to see increasingly against Dr. King, using him as a whipping post, twisting his words, uh, all toward this end and aim, this goal of attacking and doing away with dismantling any and every corrective program in this country. Here's the evidence. Charlie Kirk, who we talked about earlier in this hour, this conservative who's doing a series of podcasts uh, to this conservative audience across the country, uh, attacking King, attacking DEI. Um, he hates the Civil Rights Act, John. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. He looks at the Civil Rights Act as essentially being responsible for the DEI establishment uh, that he obviously is seeking to undo. And he doesn't seem to have any particular appreciation for the ways in which the Civil Rights Act allowed us to move a little bit closer to what American ideals actually ought to and I think actually ought to be and I think in fact are. Now, you know, look, I think that you can make a case that there are certain practices, Title IX uh, uh, abuses or misinterpretations that maybe stem from that era of of legislation. Law can be implemented in ways that do a lot of good, but still have side effects that people do not anticipate. And so it's not to say that there are not critiques to be made, but there does seem to be a desire to do exactly what you said, sort of eliminate any sort of corrective apparatus uh, or infrastructure uh, or body of law in this country um, at all um, for reasons that, you know, um, we can speculate on, but that uh, I think grossly, um, grossly dishonor and show profound ignorance of uh, the genuine legacy and contributions um, and moral standing of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, let me ask you this. I got uh, two minutes left here. Um, I am always concerned as a student of Dr. King and um, hopefully a practitioner as an author of a best-selling book about Dr. King. Everybody knows he's my guy. Yeah. Uh, I am increasingly concerned, though, about the ways that these attacks will attempt to tarnish uh, his image, tarnish and his reputation. Uh, I'm the first to tell you, um, you echoed this earlier, uh, that King, to my mind, was a public servant, not a perfect servant. Mm -hmm. That's my view. He's mm -hmm. a public servant, not a perfect servant. And yet I'm concerned about all these attacks increasingly on him and what that will ultimately do in terms of his legacy. That's my concern. What's your view? You know, and it, I, I, I had that concern, but I honestly, it, as it stands at this moment, I'm almost grateful for what Kirk is doing. Because God works in mysterious ways. And I suspect that it might be possible that his efforts to look, if the FBI couldn't do it, <laughs> you know, if if the Klan and the White Citizens Council and Jim Clark and Bull Connor couldn't destroy Dr. King, I don't think Charlie Kirk is gonna be able to do it either. But it is possible that he opens the space for a deeper conversation about Dr. King, which really this country has long needed. A little bit of evidence of that is that you did have, I noticed on social media, a lot of rep prominent Republicans and conservatives jumping on Charlie Kirk for attacking the Civil Rights Act and saying, well, if DEI is racially discriminatory, you should be supporting the Civil Rights Act because it exists to correct for mm -hmm. any of those potential abuses, right? And so possibly shooting himself in the foot here a little bit. But insofar as he's decided to go to war with King, it may be an opportunity for America uh, to get clearer on who Dr. King really was in a way that allows us to elevate yeah. his life and legacy in a deeper understanding of what the man was really about. Let me put a final point on this as we close this conversation. I am concerned about it, but I ain't scared about it. There you go. I'm concerned, <laughs> but not scared. I think in the end uh, that King's work right. and witness will always hold up. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the more, to your point, people dig into his corpus, into his body mm -hmm. of work, uh, the more uh, they will find consistencies all the way through it. There you go. Um, mm -hmm. Justice for everybody, um, love for everybody, 
yeah. service to other people. Um, his legacy, I think, uh, is is going to be just fine. But it troubles me uh, beyond words hmm. that we see these persons who are doing everything they can, again, to tarnish um, his his image. And uh, we'll fight back on that every day we can uh, on this program. His name is John Wood Jr. Uh, he's my colleague here on my hometown, hometown station in L.A., KBLA Talk 1580, with a program on the weekends called The Reconstruction Project. Uh, for those across the nation, uh, he is a columnist for USA Today. You read his work there. And one of the leaders of uh, Braver Angels, which we'll talk more about next time you come on this program. Until then, thanks for your insights and thanks for bringing us the, the down low on Charlie Kirk. Uh, enjoyed the conversation immensely.